Welcome back to Knock on Wood. I am your host, Rowan Wood, and uh, joining me for my very first live in-person episode is my father, Tim Wood. Dad, thank you for joining me. You're very welcome, Rowan. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, I don't really feel like there's any need to exposit uh, my relationship to my father. He is my father. I, uh, I, I, I live with him. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some movies and some shows and whatever else uh, comes comes uh, into our minds today. Um I guess we could start with uh, the Sandman. Indeed, some stuff that we've been uh, been been watching lately. Um, Dad, you have a, a, a much broader knowledge of the Sandman uh, than I do because you read the comics. Did you read them when they first came out? I didn't read the first uh, first few issues. Uh, I sort of came to it about halfway through the run. I went back and I read a lot of the uh, collections after that. So um, I've I've got a pretty broad overview of of the Sandman as a series uh, for the, you know, it ran for 75 issues, uh, I think from like 89 to the mid 90s or so. Um, And of course, spawned a number of uh, 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 spinoffs. You know, there were miniseries featuring Death and the Corinthian and and some of the other endless characters that we uh, come across in the uh, in the new show. Mm-hmm. And um, I know they've been trying to adapt it into a, a movie and a show and basically everything on screen for a long time. Were you following any of that before it actually happened, before it came to Netflix? Uh, you know, occasionally. Uh, you know, I read a lot of Neil Gaiman, so I would, uh, you know, every once in a while see something that about Sandman being uh, developed and uh, so-and-so had option the rights. Uh, it was a, a, quite a long process, and, and it didn't... Uh, as we've discussed before, it didn't seem to lend itself to a movie um, because of the sort of intricacies of the plot and the, and the various characters. So uh, I think what Netflix has done with it is probably uh, the best format that we could probably expect uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in adapting the basically the series adapts, I think, the first two uh, story arcs from the series Um and uh, you know that's that's giving a pretty uh, pretty wide uh, level of uh, of time to uh, to develop the characters and, and show uh, the different uh, plot elements that you know you just wouldn't get in a movie. Mm-hmm. And and from from what it seems, um, it would kind of have to be adapted um, in a medium that would allow it to basically do anything it wanted. Um, like is is the graphic novel as violent and as profane as the show is? Oh yeah, it's pretty it's pretty accurate. I went back uh, and reread the uh, the first eight issues, uh, and the series it was more accurate than I, I remembered. Uh, the the uh, the plot elements and the story are, are almost exactly the same. Characters are some of them are a little different, and of course they switch around genders and things like that, mm-hmm. which. Uh, you know, is a is a good thing to play with. It uh, it sort of mixes up things a little bit. Something that Neil Gaiman probably wouldn't have thought about doing. Uh, you know, back when he started the series. But I know as as a showrunner, he's been deeply involved in all this. And uh, I heard an interview with him uh, not long ago where where he said that he thought it was it was brilliant and it really improved upon the original uh, storyline. Mm-hmm. And the one thing you can't get past is the the voice of the main character you think that everything is pretty much accurate with him he looks great he has the looks down he, he's got the the chin the jawline but he doesn't have 
He doesn't have the voice. Well, tell, tell me more about that. You know, this is my opinion, uh, of course. Um, I, I do think he's a little more pouty than he should be. In the comics, he has a very angular face, uh, thin and long. And uh, I, the actor whose name escapes me now. Tom Sturridge. Tom Sturridge. He's, um, he's got the look. Uh, his face is a little too roundish. Um, and I think that his voice is just, you know, I, I envision a more sort of otherworldly voice. If you look at the comics, whenever uh, Morpheus speaks, it's, it's in a different font than uh, a normal uh, person, a normal human would speak. And even a lot of the characters in the dreaming, in the, uh, the dream time. Uh, and I just think his voice is, is like, it's too sort of low and uh, deliberate. He should be, uh, I think, not that he should be high and squeaky, but I, I think a, a more sort of uh, ethereal, otherworldly voice would, would fit the character better. Corinthian, it's time to come back to the dreaming. <laughs> I don't think that would work. No, pro- probably not. Um, it seems to me that that is a near impossible thing to adapt to the screen in a satisfying way. Just like like speaking differently from everyone else. I know, especially in which you have him interacting with other characters that, you know, it needs to create a cohesive scene that makes sense. And you can like, you should be able to listen to the audio and still understand what's going on. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously there are any number of filters that they could have used. Um, right. But, uh, you know, I think they were trying to, it sounds ironic to say, but they were trying to humanize him as much as possible. And because it is a, a, a streaming show, you, you have to have some sort of level of connection with the audience. And I think if they had made the voice, you know, too um, off-putting, which is what I think it should have been, mm-hmm. it would not connect with a lot of viewers. And the same, I think, with his face. You know, they were trying to get someone who's attractive and, you of know... Uh, uh, Everyone in the show is attractive. Every, you know, it's TV, you know, so... <laughs> Um, you're not going to have, uh, you know, David Thewlis would have made a good dreaming in that his face looks more like it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But he's not a he's not a handsome guy. He's also so, too old. Sorry, David. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And yeah, he's too old. But. Yeah. yeah. Um, generally, I know you you spoke to the to the accuracy of the graphic novel to the show um, is like, does that is that basically true throughout most of season one i know we haven't finished it yet we're still a couple episodes from from finishing it seems to be yeah you know and i think because neil gaiman was uh so intricate intricately involved in all this he was able to ensure that that happened rather than you know had it been say a film where he wasn't involved other than maybe being a producer uh you would have seen a lot of more a lot more deviation to the plot and and whereas here you get, you know, really, uh, you know, down to, you know, you know, the 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 diner um, episode mm-hmm. is in, is one issue of the comic, and it, it really is fairly. It's it, you know, they take liberties and and uh, change the characters and change some of the stuff that happens, but the ver- ver- the basic uh, arc of it is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's uh, it. Really speaks to you know the authenticity that that Neil Gaiman wanted to bring to this, and th- that's probably why it took so long to get it to the screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine for for an author, it would it, it might be hard to let some of that go, especially when you f- have such a deep connection yourself 
to the material. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, the episode I am spacing on his name. The the immortal man. That's also an issue of the comics, right? Um, which immortal man? The one that uh, that that death makes immortal. Yes. Uh, yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Hob. Hob. His name was Hob. That's it. Right. Right. Um, and and beyond season one uh or like at, do you know where season one is going based on what you read in the comics well i you know there, i i have um i i have i read the, the i went back and i read the first eight issues mm-hmm. I, I actually don't have the next few issues so i'm not sure um the direction it's going um i kind of like that um i I, I think uh it uh, it's gonna it's gonna be uh pretty interesting to see where they take this uh, dream vortex idea I, I that i hadn't known about um so uh I, I i'm excited to see where it goes and and i'm hoping that there there's going to be a subsequent season that have they renewed it do you know no 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 not yet i mean there's a lot of material there so um, right. there's a lot of possibilities you know even for spinoffs like the corinthian or death um, death death would be a good one Mm-hmm. Uh, because she did have her own miniseries and and kept appearing in in uh, in the Sandman comics right. over the course of the run, and of course Cain and Abel. I, I really yeah. like Cain and Abel, but yeah, I don't I don't know at this point if the Corinthian could carry a show. He just seems like kind of a like not much more than a than a villain who kind of just appears. Um, yeah, sporadically. I think, I think you know I know in the comics he reappears later in a sort of a different form mm-hmm. uh, so there's there's opportunity there for uh, you know revising the character in a way that would make it uh, probably more uh, accurate or mm-hmm. not accurate but mo- but but better suited to uh, to, to carrying uh, you know it might not be a, a whole series but maybe a standalone show or something like that yeah interesting interesting um, and uh, what has been your favorite moment from the season so far? My favorite moment, um, I I think the episode with death was my favorite one so far. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was e- either that or the diner episode, which was pretty grim, but um, it it was just uh, you know if you didn't know where it was going, it was kind of uh, it was kind of fun to see. Yeah. Um, but definitely the episode with death and and um, dreams uh, relationship with Hob over the centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. What if someone could live for centuries, you know, and have that sort of broad outlook? Um, how would how would their life change? How would it be? It's a, it's kind of a peek into that, and I know that's something that Neil Gaiman is is interested in too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. That was probably my favorite episode too, and uh, for maybe the simple reason that I love immortality stories. I think those are absolutely fascinating. Um, and the fact that the Sandman did it and pulled it off very well, it just you know, speaks to a testament. As I, I feel like they can basically tackle any you know fantasy esque storyline and yeah. have it really work out. Um, and I wonder if 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 they do do more seasons, um, if they might uh, like like how deep they'll go into the mythology. Um, I know it's like this is technically a, a DC Comics property, right? Correct. And. At any point during the run, like was it, like, is there any presence of any other like D, like DC characters aside from Constantine or Constantine, as they say in this show? Well, in in the comics, uh, uh, occasionally some of the uh, characters pop up. Um, the Scarecrow pops up in in the in one of the issues, for instance, and 
And of course, Cain and Abel date back to the 60s when they were the hosts of the House of Secrets and the House of Mystery, um, which were uh, anthology comics. Um, you have one of those collections downstairs. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I, I have a bunch of the issues. And, and of course, that's, uh, I think it was House of Secrets was where the Swamp Thing first appeared. Um, so those comics have uh, a really uh, uh, a good uh, epic. Um, they have a, a nice run of stories that, um, you know, Cain and Abel were never more than just sort of like hosts who introduced stories. And uh, I like the way Neil Gaiman incorporated them into the into the dreaming as the original Cain and Abel. And, you know, Cain uh, is always uh, killing Abel. I think that's the way it goes, right? Cain uh, so. is always uh, killing Abel just as he did in the Bible. And uh, it, uh, it, it would be fun to see them sort of and i'm sure we'll see more of them in the show yeah um and i feel like one of the only things the show might not go deeper into is lucifer i have a feeling lucifer might appear again but we're not gonna get to see him or her in the show he does appear as... further in the comics yeah but i think you're right because it's sort of a uh, it clashes with the uh, with the show with the show lucifer yeah. uh which uh is sort of has a completely different um vibe to it yeah um, it would be fun if they if they did that, but you know they've got a different actor playing Lucifer and Mazikeen as well and Mazikeen. But obviously, you know they're they're all uh, fantasy characters, and right. they could switch identities. You know, just like you know you and I switch clothes. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a feeling that um, that they're going to sort of avoid Lucifer in the future. Uh, maybe not like 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 permanently, but um, just because, as you mentioned, clashing with the show. Sure. Um, th that has amassed sort of like a following over the last, I think it was six seasons-ish. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and I think the same is true for Constantine. Mm -hmm. um, Although I do, I will say um, in one of the interviews I listened to, Neil Gaiman did mention that um, the idea for gender swapping Constantine or Constantine uh, came about even before DC sort of put a moratorium on using the character because they're developing an HBO Max or whatever the discovery service is after HBO Max um, show about Constantine. That's why Legends of Tomorrow had to get rid of him too, uh, right. because DC wants to have a clean slate for when they do a new version. Right. Even though there's a lot of history there with the movie and, and all that. Exactly. Yeah. And the previous show, previous right. series. Right. So, so casting Jenna Coleman as a, as Joanna Constantine, it's, is their way of, of, of including the character, but not really including the character. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's move on. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? We have 3,000 Years of Longing, She-Hulk. Yeah, let's talk about 3,000 Years of Longing, speaking cool. of immortality. Immortality, yeah. Um, that was uh, figured heavily in that movie mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the sense that, uh, you know, I don't know how many spoilers we want to get into, but the, the djinn uh, who's in that sh uh, film played by Idris Elba, you know, is, is a is a supernatural being who mm -hmm. is basically immortal and uh it uh the movie uh gets into 3000 years of his uh of his history and uh, uh how did you like that movie I thought it was good um I think uh it was two different movies in one um it is Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton uh in a hotel room uh conversing and it is the um and, and whatever comes from that, a.k.a. the entire third act, and it's 
the stories that Idris Elba is, is, is telling, which just feel so disconnected from everything else, which isn't bad because I actually find, found the stories to be more interesting. But I think I would find the hotel room stuff and, and their dynamic a little bit more uh, interesting had it not been leaning heavily on the stories to, to support them and, and be the interludes. Mm-hmm. And, and so the conversation itself became the interlude and the stories sort of were pushed to the forefront until the end when we basically just ditched the stories in the past and focused entirely on their relationship. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think there, there's a, a bit of a disconnect in, in this film, although, you know, the, the really, uh, the, the really talky part of the, um, of the story in the, in the hotel room, I think has its, uh, has its benefits and, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's certainly interesting. And, uh, these, these, both of these characters have, you know, they're flawed and they, they have a lot of baggage to them. Uh, but, um, they really work it out. They're, it's almost like a therapy session, mm-hmm. um, in the hotel room. And, um, it's, a you know the whole uh, part of when they when they when they sort of come together, um, it's almost out of the blue. Uh, it's a little disconnected from the rest of the story, and uh, and as you said, the, the the whole third act is like almost takes place in a different universe, a different world um, than um, the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I agree with you that the uh, the the flashback scenes uh where the jinn tells his stories um really um are imaginative and they're fun and um you know some of them are kind of grim but they're uh they're unusual and I, I think give george miller credit for uh being willing to sort of go out on a limb in some cases on uh, on some of the uh, elements of those stories yeah yeah definitely i i, I loved how magic and magical creatures were just accepted parts of the of the of the real world in in the past and you know like uh when when the jinn says oh i was i was chasing after uh this this woman when when a follower of an evil god stopped me and this guy's head just turns into a giant like an evil spider and all that and like utters a curse and all that and it's just played off completely natural and i love that i thought that was great right um right when solomon is uh trying to woo uh salome Mm-hmm. I think it was Salome, wasn't it? Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't Salome. It was uh, uh, Sheba. Sheba. Um, you know, he's playing this instrument that at first it seems like a sort of sitar type thing, and then a string breaks and it just melds itself magically, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the instrument blossoms into I don't know what a, you'd a call being it. all its own. Uh, yeah, 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 and it, it was really magical and really kind of fun, and and. I kind of wish some of the stories had been a little more stuck a little more to the whimsical side of things Mm -hmm. because they do get sort of uh, like we said a little bit grim at times um, when uh, uh, you know the the the, in in like the the second story where the uh, uh, the who is he he's the uh, the vizier or whatever the who's uh, Uh, the sultan the sultan and his brother and and uh, you know I won't get into details but I think it was his son wasn't it no I think it was his brother no the son was the one that the woman was in love with oh right anyway whatever doesn't um, it doesn't really matter yeah yeah (laughs) uh it just uh it 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 gets a little uh a little darker Mm -hmm. um and and the last story I think is is kind of redemptive but it's also a little dark Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of a, a precursor to, to sort of things that happen later as well. 
um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it was. I think that that part of the movie was great. I thought I thought that those parts were fantastic. And then at the end, my biggest problem actually is what it does to Tilda Swinton's character, and was sort of tiptoeing around like major spoilers. I don't really know how much you can like majorly spoil this movie. Um, but at at the beginning, uh, her her character is independent. She uh, she's a a narratologist. I think it was called. Like she she studies stories and she loves stories, which is part of why she just loves hearing the Jin's tales about the past world. Um, but she also, uh, she doesn't have a husband and she's like, she's making her own way in the world. She's a, she like, she's an independent woman. And then at the end, she, or, or I guess near the end, and this ties into that third act, she just, she realizes, oh, I just want to be loved. I, I want desire. I want to be loved by someone else. And that, it feels like it kind of undoes that characterization yeah, it, from the beginning. It seems to come out of the blue. It doesn't grow from her character, I think, um they're probably sh it's it's almost like there's a, a missing set of scenes there that that yeah. should have happened to make that transition because it, it just happens a little too uh, abruptly i think mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if there is a longer cut out there mm, that maybe. does ha have more of that because i feel like um the uh the pacing with them back at the, at the hotel room just felt a little redundant in that it was um, they just kept on coming back to the same point. She kept on asking him, are you a trickster? Or are you going to trick me? And he keeps telling her, make the wishes, make the wishes, make the wishes. And I understand that's sort of, you know, that is what each of them are trying to know. And they're both hitting a brick wall and they're not letting each other in, which I guess, you know, if you, you really think about it, then they do let each other in. But there's a missing piece there. Yeah. There is uh, there's a reason that they both decide to let those walls down. And I feel like we're not seeing all of it. Yeah. And, and but so a little bit of that comes later when we learn that there's a reason the Jin needs her to make the wishes uh, for his uh, sake. Yeah. Um, but but from Tilda Swinton's uh, side of things, it's it's just a bit um, a bit un, untold what the reason is, what her motivations are. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I bet there is something in the script that had to be sacrificed for time or for some sort of continuity issue um, that would maybe would have explained some of that. Um, and maybe uh, geeks like us will get to see that someday. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in terms of George Miller movies, I would probably say it lands somewhere in between Mad Max Fury Road and Surf's Up. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Surf's Up, so I don't know. But uh, don't bother. Yeah, okay. Um, Although it did win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. You know, um, it, it has something in common with the Mad Max movies and the fantasy elements and, and almost and, and the visual aspects, especially of the mm -hmm. fantasy yeah. scenes. Yeah, the visuals were amazing. Have that, uh, have that uh, in, in concert with them, too. Um, I, I think he's less good at handling sort of relationships than yeah. he is with... Uh, uh, you know, doing fantasy and action and um, sort of keeping the plot right. uh, rolling. I think he's a much better director than he is a writer. Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although he co-wrote this one, right? He did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Mad Max is just a feat of filmmaking in every sense of the word. And I think maybe it speaks to the fact that there's no like like there's not a ton of deep character work going on there there is character work because you get to know the characters through their actions which is, which you can argue is even better filmmaking yeah for sure but at the same time it's like like there is not a ton of dialogue in that movie when 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 you really think about it 
Um, and and that that might be a strong suit. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, this is his first movie since Mad Max, and that was a solid seven years ago. Um, so who knows? Uh, I mean, this is like this is far from awful. I mean, this is no. Like, I would be, I very would, middling in the movies. That I I've would seen recommend it. I yeah, thought it was definitely. entertaining and fun. Um, you know, flawed, but uh, you know, it kept you uh, kept you interested. Kept mm-hmm. me interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. And and it's not. As we mentioned, you know, it's 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 not terrible. There is like there are some redeeming qualities, yeah. um, especially Idris Elba and, and Tilda Swinton. I think are, are are great. I don't know if they're great together, but they are great. Um, I just wasn't feeling the sparks that I think the movie wanted me to feel um, in terms of their relationship. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there. That uh, you know, uh, Tilda Swinton has this sort of androgynous reputation and and persona. And uh, it was hard to see her as sort of like a leading lady in a way, um, and and a romantic interest um, in with with um, Idris Elba. But uh, you know, you can't overlook that. It's not a it's not a it's not a, a, a deal breaker, right. in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's next? She Hulk. Sure. <clears throat> cool. Um, so She Hulk is the latest Marvel show. I've lost count of how many there have been so far. <laughs> Uh, too many. many, 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 many. Yeah. <clears throat> um, are there any that you didn't see, or or have, have you seen all of them? I think I've seen them all. Did you see Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Moon Knight, and mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, how does I guess how does She Hulk, at least at first glance, uh, as we're recording this, I believe only two episodes two. have come out. So, so I at at the first you know at first impressions, how does this rank among them? Well, it, you know, it's hard to say because it's got a different tenor than most of them. Very much so. Um, I'd put it closer to Ms. Marvel than most of the others because it's um, it's it's humorous and it's and it's got that sort of whimsy to it that um, certainly you know Falcon and the Winter Snowman and WandaVision really didn't Snowman. have. <laughs> that's a completely different show. The that, Winter that Snowman. I would see. You know, that's Frozen meets Marvel. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Disney owns them both. So. Yes, so we might see that. Um, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, Ms. Marvel was, was more, um, had a lighter touch to it, I thought. Um, at least at first, it got a little darker towards, towards the end. And, uh, you know, even parts of Moon Knight had that com- comedic em- element but but she hulk is really mostly played for uh, for laughs and for the uh incongruity of of you know a she hulk as a, as an attorney um and and what that means for uh for the uh, i can't remember her name what's her name uh jen jen yeah, yeah. Um, your wife's name <laughs> i know that <laughs> um but uh you know I, I sort of miss the She-Hulk in the comics. It sort of came out during a period where, uh, you know, I was, I think, in, in college, so I was, like, not reading comics the way mm-hmm. I, I, I did before and I, and I did a bit afterwards. Uh, you know, I was aware of the character, but I didn't really know much about her. Um, so the, the series is, has, uh, you know, filled in a little bit for me and, you know, going back and doing a little research. Um, they played it... Uh, they played it pretty much along the lines of the comic. Uh, the origin is a, a tad different, but but not that much different. I mean, the origin was very simplified here. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened in like you know two minutes. Right. I, I mean, the first episode was just the origin story, in that in that you know she 
she gets the powers, she gets control of the powers, and that's it. And then we can right. move on to to the real story of the show. Right, which I, you know, after two episodes really hasn't developed very much other than sort of, it's it's all basically been set up at mm-hmm. this point. You know, now I, I, I imagine we're going to see where it goes with her in the classroom and the uh, classroom class uh, in the courtroom and uh, what's the name of the villain uh, which one the the main villain who we uh, saw once uh, uh, Titania or, or Titania Titania I'm, I'm yeah not sure which um, how that's maybe I'm gonna, still in Midsummer Night's Dream mode <laughs> how that's gonna play out with uh, with uh, with the two characters um, and you know I, I I, th- I enjoyed them the shows I liked um, I liked having the Hulk there and his uh, um, smart Hulk persona mm-hmm. um, although I had some qu- quibbles with the way he uh, oh yeah he yeah okay a bit. you're you're mad that he said bruh once yeah I just he would never say that you know Bruce Banner would never say that why because he's an educated man and educated men don't say bruh yeah, well number one number two he's too old. <laughs> And number three, it just didn't fit the character. I mean, I guess. I think they just threw it in there as a, a you know, a, a, a sop to, you know, the, the younger kids these days. May I remind you that he dabbed in Avengers Endgame? Well, he did that sort of <laughs> to taking a selfie with some kids. So. Yeah. I mean, Jen, Jen is a kid at heart. Well. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> um. I don't even know what that means. So, I, 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 if you know, you know, and if you don't know, I can't explain. <laughs> um, how do you feel about uh, about Hulk sort of exiting, and and where do you think he's going? I know you know my theory, but I want to hear your theory first. Uh, I think you're right um, mm-hmm. about your theory. Um, I wonder if he'll come back in the last episode, yeah, as uh, to set something else up mm-hmm. for either one of the next films or another sh- uh, series somewhere down the line. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, so my theory is that he uh, fathered a child while on Sakaar during Thor, uh, or between Age of Ultron and Thor Ragnarok, and the ship that uh, caused the crash in Episode 1 and collected him in Episode 2 is uh, a Sakaaran ship, and it's coming back to bring him back to the planet to meet his son. Um, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we get, like, random flashes of Hulk doing stuff throughout the show, just as like a little aside, maybe as part of the post credits. Wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Jeff Goldblum pops up um, from, from Ragnarok. Maybe, maybe. Um, you know, it's, it's, this seems like just the, the unexpected show that would give him a, a, a wacky cameo. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, his, his kid, I'm sure, would be uh, Hulkling, who is a member of the Young Avengers, which of course any self-respecting Marvel fan knows that they're setting that up. Um Okay. With all of the all of the the young characters that have been appearing and will appear um, very soon in the MCU, uh, especially during in the shows, but some of the movies. Um, yeah, but generally, I like She Hulk. I like uh, uh, Tatiana Maslany. I believe her name is who plays Jen. I think she's she's great. I think she she knows how to carry a show. Um, she was in a show. She starred in a show called Orphan Black, in which she played all of the main characters, and she won an Emmy for that. Oh, um, I didn't so, know she was in that show. Yeah, so, so so she clearly knows how to how to carry a show, as I mentioned. Um, but uh, yeah, I think she's great. Um, I'm I'm glad to see uh, Tim Roth again as uh, the, the Abomination. Uh, he's undergone quite a character change since the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> um, 
I also like their acknowledgement uh, by the Hulk that he was a completely different person when he fought uh, the Abomination because he was. He was played by Edward Norton back then. <laughs> literally. Yeah, a li- literally a completely different person. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm also, uh, this is, I guess, minor spoilers for the second episode of, of She-Hulk. Um, which is at the time that this episode has come out will be have been out for a week and a half but um, I like the acknowledgement of uh, the events of Shang-Chi and the fact that Abomination was in Shang-Chi fighting in the uh, fighting in the underground ring uh, and I'm sure that's how they'll bring uh, Wong in as well because Wong was the one that got him out of prison to fight in the in the ring and then I'm sure put him back right afterward um, but I am interested to see uh, how they're going to um, sort of if they're going to differentiate Abomination in the, you know, how does he choose when he's Abomination and when he's in, in, in human form? Is it like an anger thing or or has, you know, I know he's into the sort of the Zen meditation thing now. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's going to play into, you know, just like Bruce spent a while in, in, in a gamma lab learning how to, uh, you know, or, or I guess in a lab in Hawaii um, or Mexico or where, wherever it was, learning how to balance Bruce and the Hulk. I wonder if Abomination did sort of the same thing. Because it's, it's been, at least in-universe, in like 15 years since The Incredible Hulk took uh, took place. So uh-huh. so he's, he's definitely ha- had the time. Um, but, uh, I, yeah. I, I, my guess is that we'll learn a little bit of that mm-hmm. here. Um, it probably won't be a major plot element, but, yeah. you know, we'll get a few clues, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially um, if you know they continue with Tim Roth in right. that uh, in that role, and maybe uh, you know Young Avengers, he'll appear there too. I hear whispers that he'll be a member of the Thunderbolts, which we're getting in 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 2024 huh. as well, um, along with along Is... with Titania and uh, Zemo and Yelena and a bunch of other. Are they a villain super team? Or... Yeah, it's it's like the Suicide Squad, huh. but but Marvel. Is that going to be a movie or mm-hmm. movie. A show? Movie, okay, yeah, yeah, and uh, that I'm sure. Um, will be uh, paying off what Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character was recruiting for. Do you remember when she appeared in mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier and then mm-hmm. Black Widow, um, which was supposed to come first, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting how everything's going to tie together down the road and like uh, how vital they'll make the shows. Because as of now, they have made it so you can understand the movies without having watched the shows. WandaVision, I think, might be the most important, quote-unquote, um, show so far in terms of that but i don't know it's it's you know they're, they're coming out with so many shows at this point like uh iron heart is going to be introduced in black panther and then she's going to get her own show on disney plus so like who, who knows how it's all going to tie together in the future um because right now it seems like they're two separate worlds mm-hmm. um, but i'm sure like once characters like moon knight and she hulk start appearing in the movies then you know th- then people who haven't seen the shows at least will seek out the shows to, to sort of learn more uh, about them and I'm sure they'll be disappointed with Moon Knight because we don't really see actual Moon Knight too much it's more about the it's more about the guys under the under the cloak but, um, <laughs> I, you know I, obviously the folks behind the MCU have uh, a grand plan mm-hmm. I'm sure all or at this, least they want us to think they have a well grand I'm plan. sure all this was mapped out oh, yeah. years ago in intricate detail mm-hmm. or they wouldn't have spent millions and millions of dollars making these movies and TV shows with little Easter eggs here and there right um, which will you know you know they know they have a built-in fan base and whatever they um, whatever they come up with uh, they're gonna have um, a, a, a set audience for even if uh, even if it's not something that the mainstream audience, you know, Iron Man, you know, the the first the first uh, iteration of the MCU was pretty mainstream characters that people, even if they weren't comic book fans, uh, 
had heard about and you know you knew Iron Man and Spider-Man and the Hulk mm -hmm. Captain America certainly been around since the 1940s so yeah. um, you know when you start getting into Moon Knight and She-Hulk and uh, 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 you know Ms. Marvel and and all those characters uh, you're getting at a different level where you're you're mining the fan base more and more um, but some of that is is being dragged into the mainstream too and I think their ultimate plan is got to have something to do with just making all that stuff even more accessible and um, recognizable to the general public it's kind of like uh, you know what DC's tried to do with uh, with some of their you know b-list uh, stars through um, even C-list and D-list, like yeah. like, uh, like Peacemaker, right? Well, I was thinking more like uh, shows like The Flash and right. and and Green uh, and and Arrow. I mean, everyone knew The Flash. Yeah, but you know, when you get into the side characters in Flash, right, yeah. and you get into um, shows like Arrow and uh, Legends, for sure. Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. Um, even though that la and, and it still lasted how many seasons? Seven, Seven seasons. Yeah. Um, that those characters, most of the characters in um, in Legends are just average person off the street is not going to have a clue as to who they mm -hmm. are, and yet that show survived for that long. Survived longer than a lot of other of uh, of, of the CW superhero shows. Right, right, and uh, it, which is interesting. You know, if you start to do a comparison between uh, Marvel and, and DC, you know, they they went in different directions when it comes to the TV shows. Mm -hmm. You know, Marvel did have. Uh, uh, Shield and um, what's the one um, the X Men spinoff uh, uh, that I'm thinking of that was on I think FX uh, Legion Legion um, and those did fairly well mm -hmm. on, Legion got four seasons three, three or four seasons major networks yeah um, but Marvel has mostly concentrated its TV stuff <clears throat> on uh, on its uh, streaming services I mean that was Ages of Shield and like Agent Carter and and shows like that were Marvel Television, which was a totally different division, and then Marvel Studios took over when Disney Plus premiered, so they right, could, and right. they sort of they sort of wiped both of those shows like out of the canon with stuff like Avengers Endgame and all that. Um, right, but it just just goes to show that I, I think DC was initially more um, successful in that realm. Mm -hmm, absolutely, um, and now with uh, with the way they've uh, migrated to the streaming. Uh, stuff and, and Marvel's consolidated all their operations under Disney. Um, they've really sort of transcended what anything DC has done in that realm. Um, you know, what has DC done in, in the streaming? You know, it's it's all been sort of. Um, I guess I would I would call it niche stuff like the Peacemaker and Titans and Doom Patrol. Titans and Doom Patrol, exactly. Yeah. Which um, you know. Give give DC credit for making them more gritty and and yeah. more adult, and um, and I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, at least I, I thought Doom, Doom Patrol and and Peacemaker are probably just as good, if not better, than most of the Marvel shows. I agree, but in a different way because they're they're violent, they're graphic, they're, they're shocking. They're, they're, they're in some cases shocking. You know, they have they don't shy away from uh, um, graphic uh, violence and nudity and everything. So. Um, different, but um, I think just as successful in its own way. Mm -hmm. And it seems like Marvel Studios is sort of exper is going to experiment with that with um, shows like Marvel Zombies, which is coming out in twenty twenty four, I think. 
Um, is that going to be animated? It's animated, but it's going to be TVMA, so violent and profane. And I wouldn't be surprised if they throw some sex in there too, because why not? <laughs> um, but but I feel like that'll be sort of a, a test run to see if people actually watch it on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then will and then they might make some um, make some live action more more mature live action series based off of that. And you know everything is an experiment. Even now, like a couple of years after Disney Plus launches. Launched. There's like like there's always more um, more things to be learned from the streaming audience, mm-hmm. and I'm sure like they're they're gonna be like these experiments are gonna be constant in in in, in the streamers trying uh, new things. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a good venue. Although mm-hmm. you know the way things are changing now with uh, with uh, HBO Max and HBO and and the whole Discovery thing, uh, you know we don't know what to expect. Uh, going forward, you know, are these any of these things going to come to fruition? You know, they, they right. could all end up locked away in a vault like uh, Batgirl. You know, yeah, yep. Who knows? Who knows? Um, any other closing thoughts on uh, She-Hulk or the Marvel Universe for now? Uh, no, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the remainder of the shows. Um, Seven episodes. It's the longest um, with uh, WandaVision. Okay. Yeah. And 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 I, I you know hopefully it'll be entertaining. I expect so based on the first two. I'm sure. Um, and uh, I, I just hope it doesn't get too into the weeds of self-referential type mm. stuff, you know, which, you know, is possible, especially with Marvel. They're, they're so intricately um, involved in their own navel gazing, so to speak. Yeah, they love the they also they love the jokes. They love the little uh, the little bits. Um, and you, you don't need a joke to diffuse a situation every single time. Right. And I don't think they've learned that yet. <laughs> They will. Um, yeah, they will. They will. We'll see. Um, but, Dad, to to close out this episode, I do have to ask, uh, what is the best thing you've watched lately? And it can't be any of the three that we've talked today, talked about today, rather. Um, I haven't really watched much more than what we've talked about. Um, I will go to um, a different uh, medium and uh, talk about a book I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Which is a uh, a humorous uh, take on the Trump years called which you know that's sort of an oxymoron, <laughs> uh, but it's called "Thank You for Your Servitude" and it's basically a uh, uh, a look back into the people who enabled uh, the especially the Republicans who enabled uh, Trump along from uh, 2016 to the present. Um, and uh, and it's 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 pretty funny because uh, you know you think about some of these things that you forgot about in the deluge of Trump stuff mm-hmm. over the the last five or six years. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't realize that it was the day after his inauguration that the whole issue of the crowd size at his inaugural came out, where uh, where uh, uh, the the news media had been comparing it to Obama's inauguration and saying it was you know the crowd size was nowhere near as big, and of course Trump. That sort of that that got in under his craw, and he sent Sam Spicer out to insist. Sean. Oh, <laughs> I knew a guy named Sam Spicer. That's why I said that. Uh, sent him out to uh, to to basically lie and say that the crowd was bigger, and then the next day Kellyanne Conway was in with her alternative facts, which sort of set the stage for the next four years. Um, They're admitting that that their alternative facts with the title of that show. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> So it's like they're not even trying. No, well, you know, if you can have your facts and I can have my facts, <laughs> and never the twain shall meet. That's really, if you think about it, it set the stage for the whole uh, 
um, division that mm -hmm. uh, everybody cites as uh, you know haunting our country right now. But right. anyway, so um, this book is uh, again, it's called uh, "Thank You for Your Servitude," and it's uh, it's one of the uh, my favorite things that I'm uh, I'm doing right now. What about you, Rowan? Very nice. Oh wow, you're turning this back on me. I am. Um, I'm going to mention uh, Amadeus, the the Mozart uh, biopic about his. Uh, completely fictional rivalry with um, Antonio Salieri, um, which I I adored this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I watched the director's cut because that was the only thing available at the library. And honestly, three out like I've been watching a decent amount of three hour movies lately, and they have all just gone by like that. And this, this like this one especially, I, I can only imagine what was cut out in the theatrical version, like what was in the twenty minutes, aside from one scene, which I felt was fairly. Uh, w w w was fairly cuttable but everything else I thought was great I think F. Murray Abraham and Tom Holtz are both incredible um, and I'm sure if, if, if you know this is probably like this is a great example of an unreliable narrator in film I'm sure if, if sure, Mozart yeah. were telling this story there would be far less annoying uh, high-pitched laughs <laughs> and um, farts and farts exactly but um yeah yeah generally i think this is uh incredible um i haven't seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest yet but this is my favorite milos Forman film um so far and uh yeah it's it's just absolutely incredible and if you haven't seen it definitely check it out especially if you love classical music there's lots of that here well that would make sense <laughs> yeah, yeah. if i can go back yeah I, I just remembered one of the uh, uh, uh recent movie that i saw that i really liked was deadpool 2 mm. and um Again, we're getting back into the to the Marvel universe, but that that is sort of the quintessential self-referential Marvel uh, hero uh, slash anti-hero, um, and uh, and and I, I you know I like Deadpool one and I and I like this one too because it, it just it in a lot of ways it <clears throat> undermines and destroys the superhero tropes that Marvel is built on and that mm -hmm. we see still in in their MCU shows TV. Sh excuse me tv shows and uh and it uh I, I just thought it was uh was a um entertaining and fun movie and more like a dc movie or show than anything else that marvel has done and of course it's it was outside of the the uh um the the, the disney mcu stuff for now for now yeah, yeah. um i wonder what it'll be like when he comes to the mcu for 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 deadpool 3 uh hopefully it will be more of the same yeah I have a feeling it will be. Uh, I feel like this isn't a fan base that Kevin Feige wants to piss off, um, especially because he, he has these characters, and I don't think he wants to mess with, with what made it great in the first place. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, but uh, we'll have to see. I know um, there are whispers that we're going to get uh, a lot of these uh, news about a lot of these projects at D23, the Disney convention, which happens in just a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we'll we'll get more news about more Marvel, more Marvel projects and some Star Wars stuff, which will be pretty exciting as well. But um, yeah, so for now, uh, Dad, I want to thank you very much for joining me for this well, episode. Thank you for having me here, Rowan. Of course. And uh, if people want to find you on social media and on the internet, where can they do that? Uh, they can't. <laughs> Uh, that's not true. Uh, you can find me through my uh, newspaper. Wait, you run a newspaper? Uh, I do. Um, it's called the Cape Cod Chronicle, and uh, we are on Facebook and uh, uh, on Twitter as well. I think I'm at uh, uh, CCC Newsroom at Twitter.com. And you uh, yeah, you can find me at TheLenientCritic.com. That's L-E-N-I-E-N-T Critic. I um, write about movies and TV, and I love doing it. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so all those of you listening out there, especially if you've gotten to this point at the end of the episode, thank you very much. Like, subscribe, download the episode, rate, comment, I don't know, whatever, what, whatever helps the podcast, just please do it. Um, thank you for listening, and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.